If you're new around here, this may seem confusing. I didn't get lost. <laughs> I mostly do the music around here, but today I have the distinct pleasure of digging into the word with you. I love when we get to sing. That's honestly my favorite thing that I get to do because we say this all the time. In worship, we get to say things and pray things and declare things that otherwise are very difficult to do. Those are some big words we just sang. And boy, what would the world look like if we lived our lives like we believed that everything we just sang was true? I want to ask you a question as we kick things off today. Who here trusts God? That's an easy one. It's like the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Who here believes that God can do something miraculous with your life if you just let him do it? They're getting a little bit harder. Who believes that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and that the world can change if you let him work through you? Right. But I think about that one a little bit. You know, we trust that God can do anything. But when we actually live it out, there's a disconnect that happens. Because we trust that God can do things in other people's lives. We trust that God has the power to do those things. But boy, when it comes to us, we know us, don't we? Now, let's try this. Who here trusts themselves? I was going to see if anyone was lying. Right? That's hard because we know us. We know what we do. We know how things always turn out. But today we're going to talk about letting God work in spite of what we know about ourselves. There's a thing that happens. We limit God's work in our life sometimes because we have an improper perception of ourselves. We think of us as we see us, right? Not as God sees us. Not as what he tells us in the Bible that we are. But I want to tell you something. The God who wants to work in your life already knows all of your limitations. We've all got them. He already knows your doubts. We've all got them. He already knows the pain and the frustration and the anger that you're dealing with, and he wants to work with it. Today we're going to learn that we should be bold, not because of anything that we can do, but because of everything that God can do. Who believes that God can do powerful things? That's where you go, amen. Yeah, perfect. We can go back and forth a little bit. I'm not trying to just talk. I'm a sucker for a good story. Um, the Bible's chocked full of them, if you're somebody who reads the Bible. And Matthew 14 is what we're going to dig into today. And it's three often standalone Bible stories, back to back to back. And when we look at them together, there's this powerful picture of God's omniscience, his timing, his ability to work even within our limitations. Now, everything we're going to read, keep this in mind, it all happened in one day, one 24-hour period. One probably very long and exhausting 24-hour period, as you're going to see. Leading up to chapter 14, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling around on what you could call a missionary journey. They're going to different towns and villages, teaching and healing. And at the end of 13, just before we get to where we're in today, they went to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And the Bible says that because it was his hometown, and they knew Jesus, and they know uh, they'd seen him grow up, they knew what his family did for a living— they didn't see him as the Messiah. And the Bible says that he didn't heal anybody, and they left. 
And rolling into chapter 14, would you believe it? Things got a little bit worse. Because if you don't know what happened at the beginning of that chapter, John the Baptist was beheaded. Now that may not seem like a big deal to you, but it is. And it's important to what happens next. So if you're not all that well-versed with this stuff, let me catch you up a little bit. So John the Baptist is a really, really important guy in the Bible. If you know the Christmas story, you know that Jesus was a miraculous birth. The angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and said, I know you're a virgin, but you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, and he will be the Messiah. Well, did you know that John the Baptist was also a miraculous birth? That same angel showed up to Zechariah, his father, and said, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son, and he's going to be important. Now, that's cool, but it's even better when you realize that they were old, like the kind of old where they weren't going to have kids. I love to see God working in those miraculous ways in the story already, setting us up for something great. Now, there's also a family relation here. Mary and Elizabeth were related, most likely cousins, what the Bible tells us. So there's that family connection. And then we have to fast forward a couple decades, and we see the ministries of these two guys start to overlap. So John the Baptist was a prophet. And if you don't know what a prophet is, those were guys in the Old Testament that called Israel back to God. They turned them away from their idols, away from their sin. They got them back on the right track. But we haven't seen a prophet in 500 years when John shows up. And his message was different because he's not just saying, turn back to the Lord. He's saying, no, no, prepare the way for the Lord. It's time. The Messiah that you've been waiting for is coming. And he prepared the hearts of the people for Jesus. The only time we see them together in the Bible is when John baptizes Jesus, but that's an amazing picture. He baptizes Jesus, the Spirit descends, and Jesus goes out to start his earthly ministry. And I say all that just to remind you, John the Baptist is an important guy, and he was important to Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus said about John in Matthew 11, verses 10 and 11. It says, This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So let's agree John the Baptist was a big deal. He was a big deal to Jesus' ministry. So let's jump in together to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 6 and kind of get caught up on what's happening. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed because of his oaths and his dinner guests. He ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Pay attention to this part. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So when Jesus heard that this great man, John the Baptist, had died, he went off by himself. That's understandable, right? He just found out this great man, John, had died. Now, was Jesus surprised by the death of John the Baptist? 
There's people in this room that could make a good theological argument either way for how much Jesus revealed to himself as a human, but whether it was because he knew the prophecy or he knew how many people John was upsetting or simply because he was God, he wasn't surprised by this. But if you've ever lost somebody in your life, even know that it was coming, even if it was inevitable, it still hurts, right? Jesus was hurting and he needed time to grieve. But what happened? The crowds followed him. And he handled this a lot better than we would. Because it would have been understandable for him to say, listen, guys, I, like, just give me a week. Or g- give me a few days to get over this. Don't you understand what this man meant to me? This relative, this powerhouse of the faith? No, what did he do? The Bible says he had compassion on them. And he taught, and he healed, and he loved on people all day. Boy, that's hard to imagine us doing, isn't it? Around here, Jesus is our hero. Jesus is our ultimate example. And when we look at this and try to understand what is it he's showing us through his witness, I think it's this. Jesus works even in our pain. He understands it. God's plan, God's work is not derailed by our suffering, no matter how much it hurts. And I say this because one of the ways that we limit what God can do in our life is because of our pain or the anger and the frustration that comes on the other side of it. But never forget that Jesus came as a man. He experienced pain and heartache just like we do, and that means two things. He knows how to heal you from that pain, and he knows how to use it for something wonderful on the other side. And choosing to trust God even when things are hard, it's a spiritual discipline. Like, this isn't something that comes easy. But we've got to remember this. There's a big difference between hoping and praying that God will do something and knowing in our heart that he is already doing something. Did you catch that? God is always working. Let's listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He talks about a thorn in his flesh that he had, some pain that he was experiencing. This is in chapter 12, verse 8. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's somebody who knows that God is already working. And we can choose to trust God and let him work, even through our pain. So Jesus has been teaching and healing And wouldn't you know it, it's dinner time. So we've got this giant crowd to deal with when Jesus just needed time to go off and pray and grieve. And now we've got 5,000 men plus women and children, and there is no food. The Bible says they're in a remote place with no market around. We'll jump back into the story in verses 15 and 16. It says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. Give them something to eat. And they're like, What? What do you mean? Give them something to eat. You got to imagine the human aspect of this for a second. If I walked up to you and asked you to feed like 10,000 people, how's that going to go? Right? (laughs) No, no. Jesus is challenging the faith of the disciples here. These guys responded exactly like we would. They said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Don't you realize 
We would need to make a plan for something like this. We can't do this. But what did Jesus say? Verse 18, bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So let's ask our question again. Do you think Jesus was surprised by this sudden impossible situation? What do you think? No, of course not. So why let it play out this way? Why let the disciples try to solve it? Why let all that doubt and frustration be in there? Uh, Better yet, why not just go with the disciples' plan? Send everybody away. It would have been inconvenient, but it, it could have worked, right? They could have all probably found food. Well, he's showing us that not only can he work through our pain, but Jesus works even with our limitations. Who here's got limitations? Whew, yep. Jesus does his best work in the worst circumstances. Jesus changes what's possible. He takes situations like this that can never end with anything but pain and frustration and turns them into something beautiful. And we don't always live this way. I sure don't. But neither did the disciples. These guys were as close as you can possibly get to Jesus with him incarnate on earth. And their first thought was, yeah, I can't do this. Not happening. Nope. But we have to remember our limitations don't limit what God can do. They only highlight his power. Even if we're just talking about food in the Bible, God rained down manna from heaven to feed the Israelites. Through the prophets, he made poisonous water drinkable, multiplied oil and flour, fish and loaves. His first miracle was turning water into wine. And the disciples caught so many fish in their nets, they couldn't pull them into the boat after a night of not catching a thing. God loves doing impossible things because it's obvious who gets the credit. So Jesus has just fed thousands of people. This long day is finally over, and Jesus is going off by himself to pray. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So here's our question. Do you think Jesus was surprised by the storm? No. Do you think God ever sends us into a storm? Do you think God ever sends us into a situation more difficult than we think that we can handle on our own power so that something miraculous can happen? I think so. Now, for those of you that don't know this story, don't worry. The disciples are going to be fine. This is about to get really, really cool. Let's look at verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, that was awesome, right? Jesus walks on water. That's impossible. Jesus has Peter walk on water. That's impossible. He controls the weather. He tells the storm to die down. Yeah, that's impossible too. We have a God that loves doing impossible things. But don't miss that part right in the middle there with Peter. Man, that guy had some incredible faith and trust for a minute, right? And if you follow Jesus for a while, you know how this goes, the cycle of spiritual ups and downs where we have a really good conference or a really good service or a really good Bible study and we're just ready to take over the world. And then in what seems like a matter of moments or days or weeks, we start to remember what we can do and what we've always done in the past. And we swing all the way back down. That's exactly what happened to Peter. He trusted enough to step out into the impossible, into the dangerous, into the thing that he knew couldn't possibly work. But then he looked around, and he remembered what he could do on his own power. He remembered, I can't walk on water. And he began to sink. But just as importantly, what happened? Jesus didn't say, oh, you doubted. Good luck making bubbles, swimming with the fishes now. Right? No. He grabbed his hand, and he pulled him back up. Now, he admonished him for his lack of faith. That's important. But he pulled him back up and took him back to the safety of the boat. And in the wind and the waves and the inevitable sinking of the boat, Jesus showed up in the strongest way when they were at their weakest. So not only does Jesus work with and through our pain, not only does he work even with our limitations, Jesus works with your doubts. I have a son, Levi, who's just about 15. We decided he's about 15 months old. Yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> we should have named him Peter. He's starting to kind of try to walk a little bit. The worst part is he can do it. Like, physically, he can do it, but he doesn't want to. He likes crawling around. And if you trick him into it, you can get him to take a couple steps or to stand there for a minute, but as soon as he looks around and sees there's no one holding him, it's just plop, right back down on the diaper, right back to crawling. And I just want to say, I'm not going to let you fall. Just give it a shot. I'm right here. You can do this. I know you can do this. Stop looking around. Stop trying to do this on your own power and thinking it's never going to happen. God does the same thing with us because we have this cycle of spiritual highs and lows, right? We have these incredible times of trusting God when we step out in faith boldly, and then we look around. Oh, I can't do this. And we plop back down and go right back to crawling. Because when we base our life and our decisions on our feelings and our emotions and our fears and what we think we can pull off on our own, we're never going to reach the potential that God has for us. If we keep waiting for it to be sunny and 75 to go outside, there's a lot that we're going to miss. You know, Jesus is always finding ways to teach his disciples, to teach us to walk by faith. And God is always watching. God is always working. God is always in control of the situation. God's plan is always better than you could possibly think up on your own. And being in a storm is not the absence or the opposite of God. That's important to remember. It's not necessarily because you're not under his direction. It's not necessarily because you're out of his sight 
or not part of his plan. Sometimes that storm is exactly where God put us so that we can reach out in faith and rely on him instead of relying on ourselves. Can you imagine if Jesus had a stand-up meeting with the disciples that morning? Like, guys, today we're going to lose John. You know John. Everybody loves John. John's going to die. And we're not going to have time to grieve. There's going to be this giant crowd to deal with. And then they're going to get hungry. And we're not going to have any food. And then I'm going to send you out onto the lake where you're almost going to drown. You guys excited? Let's go! Woo! No. They had a rough day, right? I'd imagine they took a very long nap. But they walked away understanding a lot more about the nature of God. So if we believe that the impossible is possible with Jesus, so we believe that he's always watching, that he's always working, that he's always in control, and that in our weakness he shows up even stronger, why do we have so much trouble with this? And it's because of what's in here, right? Because we remember the way it's gone in the past. We remember that failure that we've always come back to. We think about the court of public opinion, what other people think about us. That one's dangerous, right? Got to be careful of that. And we make decisions based on the rising and falling winds of our emotions, and we make decisions based on fear. And yeah, it's possible that you've missed out on some things. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, make some decision today and everything goes away and there's no pain in your relationships and there's nothing you have to deal with because of mistakes you made and all those years of you know, doubt and fear and arguments that you had with that person are just going to go away. No. But I can tell you this, none of what's happened in the past has anything to do with what Jesus wants to do with your life right now. You know, there's heroes of the faith in every generation. There's these people that we look back at and we look up to, but we have to remember that those are not uncommon people. Those are common, flawed broken people who let Jesus work in spite of their pain, in spite of their doubts, in spite of their limitations. Jesus did amazing things with the disciples, and those guys had no business being the heroes of the faith that we look up to today. I want to tell you a little bit about how God sees you. You have a calling and a purpose from God. This is for each and every individual person. God wants to do powerful things with and through your life, not through some people's lives, through your life. God is not surprised by what's happened. God is not surprised by what's coming. He is not limited by your limitations, and he didn't give up on you because of something that happened in the past. And where you think your words can't matter to people, God sees an evangelist who can make a difference in the world. When you only see your own fear and doubt, God sees you with his boldness. Do you believe that? Where you see only pain, where you see only weakness, God sees a mighty warrior. I'd encourage you this morning to lean into what it is that God wants to do in your life. To get the devil out of your head. Because when we tell ourselves all these things and we look at what we think instead of what God has promised... We're giving the devil the day off, right? 
When we tell ourselves we're too weak or too broken or we made too many mistakes or we're too old, he just gets to sit back and have a cocktail, right? Because we're doing all the work for him. Jesus sees you as so much more and wants to do so much more with your life than what you could ever do on your own. And we just have to ask him for that boldness to tell him, I'm willing to go. I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm not perfect, but I want to go where it is that you want to send me and do the things that you want me to do and be bold with the people around me in my life. It's time to be bold, church, not because of anything that we can do, but because of everything that we know God can do. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask this morning that you fill us with boldness that you fill us with assurance. God, we know that we're not perfect, and we know that we can't do anything on our own. But we know that you've equipped us, and we know that you've sent your Spirit so that this life could look so much different. Lord, we want to do amazing things for you. We want to go places where we're scared. We want to step out as heroes of the faith and be bold as a church and as people. And Lord, don't let us fall back into the cycle of highs and lows. Help us to leave today and finally just rest in that assurance and that boldness that you've given us. Lord, we love you and we're just thankful for all this. And it's in your name we pray.